Hey everyone, welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, which reads, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I have said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you've proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted. And beside our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit had been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you is true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And this affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So here in chapter 7, obviously there are a lot of things that are taking place in this chapter that we could jump in to really focus on for our nugget of truth. But I really want us to jump down to verse 9 into this concept of repentance and the grief that's coming in with that, because I think that that's something worth us jumping into. Because as we think about our relationship to the sin that's in our life, we have a variety of responses that we could have to sin being shown in our life. But this passage seems to focus us on the fact that there is one specific thing that God is looking for from us in our relationship to sin. And let's dive into that today, Chad. Sounds great. The big thing is talking about this worldly sorrow and godly grief. And I think when we start unpacking those things is that you might be reading that for the first time and you're like, what does that look like? And it's not to have like think about the, the Christian life as drudgery. <laughs> in fact, I think when we're thinking about the context of when in verse 1 of chapter 7, he starts out, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And I really think that's what he's trying to show is like, okay, what does this actually look like? If you all don't remember, 1 Corinthians is the preceding letter to 2 Corinthians, and he's addressing a lot of sin in their lives. And he's like, all right, now you've actually shown fruits of righteousness. And one of those ways is that you showed godly grief instead of worldly sorrow and godly grief versus worldly sorrow we, we're going to explain this a little bit more but i think a great word picture for you all is to really reflect on two disciples because you have two disciples i would say one's showing worldly sorrow and another one shows godly grief and that is the difference between judas and peter 
Because when you look at Judas, remember, Judas betrayed Christ. He denied Christ. He wanted to make sure that, you know, he's the one that set up basically the whole process of the crucifixion. And what you remember about that is that you do see that Judas does have sorrow. Because all these things start to happen and he has regret. And what, how he proceeds to handle that regret, that shame, whatever it may be coming, is he goes back to the religious leaders and tries to give the money back. But they don't want to take money. Basically, they don't want blood money. And so he's still walking with shame, realizing the weight of the heaviness of what he's done and how this is going to affect. Because you remember, his closest probably friends, relationships, are part of the disciples, part of Jesus' followers. Well, he's going to be ostracized from that. He's ostracized from his Jewish community now because they're not taking that. They don't want him back. They're not accepting uh, the money he took for the betrayal of Jesus. And so imagine how lonely he feels. And But what does he do? He goes to worldly means and ultimately commits suicide just to find relief, which ultimately is tragedy because that just brought him an eternal judgment, eternal suffering. But then you see Peter. Peter, again, remember, Denies Christ too, right? Denies Christ three times. We get that from the narrative and understand. And he is very sorrowful. He is just heartbroken for what he's done. But you know what happens is when Jesus shows up to me, he doesn't flee from the presence of Jesus. He actually at one point jumps off a boat, swims to him, and comes to him. And the first one on the shore to actually present himself before Christ. But what you find with Peter is you find repentance. He he doesn't have anywhere else to go except to Christ and to ask for forgiveness and to seek after him and then to obediently follow him because after that Christ says, hey, feed my sheep. And so Peter takes that and he's going to obediently follow him. And so that's where you have to wrestle where, where you're at because I think oftentimes like you might be grounded right now or have been grounded or maybe you've lost privileges over time. And so what do you do? You do your disobedience behavior over the cloak, trying to avoid the consequences that come from that. And then when those consequences come, you're like, oh, man, this stinks. I hate this. Okay, fine. I'll take it on. Yeah. And that's worldly sorrow because you're more caught up into what you're lost and horizontal circumstances or things of this life rather than I've actually offended God. And so... That's going to be the difference of where that comes. Because somebody who's truly experiencing godly grief is one, they'll actually confess that. Understand, I have sinned against God ultimately and possibly sinned against others through that, uh, what I've done. But then the person who's godly grief also accepts consequences. Because oftentimes that's what's missed is people are like, well, I'll do whatever to do to get out of the consequences. It's like, well, no, that's not godly grief. Godly grief shows that no, I'm willing to go through consequences because of what I've done. But then the other thing is, it's not about just stopping what you've done, but it's actually changing to be different. So, I don't know. Well, one of the things that, you know, we experience is oftentimes we can get angry with people and do something out of anger. Well, godly grief now will hopefully produce in you like, oh, yeah, that is sin. I was sinfully angry with this person. But repentance looks like, Okay, now I've recognized that. I've asked for forgiveness from that person. But I also have committed that, you know what, next time I'm in this type of circumstance or next time that I'm seeing that anger driving me to do something sinful, I'm actually going to express kindness. I'm actually going to demonstrate love. 
And so again, that's a difference. And the reason that you're doing it is not just because of you really like this person, but it's ultimately a godly motivation to exercise kindness because you love Christ. And so hopefully that gives some clarity to it. Lee, I'm sure you have some more to add to this thinking what godly grief, uh, worldly sorrow, repentance, all those things look like in our lives. Yeah, thanks, Chad. I definitely think that one of the things I struggled with was the difference between like seeking forgiveness and actually repenting. Because I think a lot of times, uh, especially if you're a person who's wired to be maybe what we might call a people pleaser, when you know you've done something against somebody, you want to make it right. And you want to say, hey, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. But is that really repentance or that's actually probably just people pleasing and saying, you know, hey, I want in a worldly standard to be back on right standing with you for these things. And so where I think the big focus is, is this godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That is a very charged sentence there in verse 10. Because when we think about repentance, we think about this term it's talking here. It's a marching order to turn around, complete 180. You've maybe heard those different things that are going on. And so as we talk about that, it's saying, hey, I was headed completely into sin, away from God. I turn, and I don't just turn, but I turn now to God, and I make that commitment that I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to move from that. And I think what happens is, for many of us, that first time we hear the gospel— And we realize, man, I am a sinner and I definitely need Jesus. We make that decision, but it's that progressive repentance in our life that needs to take place. And if you think about it in terms of one of the ways that really helped me to understand that is if you're out on a boat and you're moving towards a direction and you realize that the lighthouse or uh, the landmark, whatever you're going towards, that the waves or the different things around you, the currents are starting to move you off course. You adjust even minor things to put you back on there. And so maybe it's not these same large sins that you were struggling with before. Maybe it's other things that you see are creeping in. You say, no, I still repent from that because I need to be on the path focused on moving towards the goal of the image of Christ and what he's trying to do in my life. And I think that that constant refocusing and readjusting is part of a mark of a genuine Christian of saying, these are now things that I need to put off in my life so that I can continue to put on what is moving me towards Christ. And we see that in these different books that we're going to move forward through that Paul's going to write. But that's all a part of this concept of the repentance that moves out of the godly grief. The fact that we understand we have made a decision that is an affront to God. And we understand the weight of that, but we also understand the weight of his grace and that that is what covers us and allows us to be restored into that right relationship. Because as we walk through that, it can be that the weight of the grief of the sin leads us to despair in thinking those things like Judas and others have thought throughout time. But we need to be reminded of the truth and the depth of the grace that as we are moving and focusing back on growing as a believer, still understanding that we will wage war with our flesh and the sin around us, that God loves us and is allowing us to be disciplined and grown and shaped 
into the people he desires us to be. And that's the long haul of the Christian life. That's not something that's going to take place the first time you accept Jesus into your heart or the first time you say, I want to establish a relationship with him. That's not going to just get rid of all of that struggle in the lifelong part of sin. And so, you know, we pray that each time sin is brought before us, that we respond in that way, that we understand that we've done something uh, that was worthy of putting Jesus on the cross and truly the weight of that and try to live through that. And so I think, you know, Paul does a great job of walking through that here in his specific situation, in his relationship to the church at Corinth here, because he sees in them repentance. His desire has come to fruition through writing these letters and these hardships. And you see, hey man, he's torn up about it. He's like, I did regret that this grieved you. But I really don't regret that it grieved you too, because it's moved you forward. And so Chad, as you think about that, that's part of the Christian life is weighing the fact, can I be bold enough to call my friend out in sin? And can I live with that response that's in there? And so as a person who deals a lot with counseling, what does it take to be able to confront somebody in their sin? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because I mean we're going to have to do this in our life at some point, and you have to remember what I love about this is that when Paul is actually talking about here and confrontation went down, now he's hearing about the report that they did repent. He's actually talking about man, I was comforted by that. Hearing this news actually brought me personal comfort. I was actually excited to hear that you were moved, that you did take action, that you actually demonstrated repentance in these matters that I was bringing before you. And I think that's what we should remember too, is like we should love people in such a way that seeing people not live like Christ to actually take steps that are moving them to harm, like that should grieve our heart and should motivate us to actually come because we don't want to see them go down a road where destruction is going to occur in their life. And you're like, well, that's not necessarily going to happen. I remember in, in just some experiences over my life, people that I saw going down a path of destruction, people that I was very concerned about and people that I didn't speak up into their life. Well, guess what? Those things that showed up, more of that became habit. More things uh, grew where they were moving away from the Lord, taking, you know, maybe they were acting in selfishness. Maybe they were destroying relationships in their life by what they were saying and what they were doing. And guess what? It just got worse and worse for them. And also it was causing harm to other people. And so here I sit looking at those and again, seeking forgiveness from God for not intervening when I should have. But remember, like, man, if I could have just said something. Now, though some people, and again, my experience in life, when you confront people, it's not always going to be met with like, oh, yes, thank you for telling me. Most of the time, people are going to be resistant. They're going to be hard. They're not going to want to talk through that. But again, that's not your responsibility. That's their personal responsibility, how they respond to the gospel. But second is that the Holy Spirit can use your words to actually plant seeds into their life that hopefully is a process to get to repentance. And that's why I'm sure with Paul, like he wrote this letter, he wrote 1 Corinthians, he confronted them on their sin. And I'm sure when they first received it, and you see it in 2 Corinthians, like it was resistant. They weren't actually pleased. doesn't sound like they received it well, but it was the starting point to actual the process of repentance to see 
people actually change, grow, turn from their sin, turn from what was going on. And now Paul finds comfort in it. And that's what we have to be reminded of is like we are sowing seeds Mm -hmm. to hopefully help people see things in their life that they need to express for forgiveness of because it is causing them harm. It's causing other harm. And it's causing their harm either in their relationship with Christ or it's helping them see they need a relationship with Christ. And so the boldness comes from a genuine love. We act out of genuine love continually through Second Corinthians. It's a genuine love that we have for you. It's, it's something that's motivating their heart, but it's also a genuine love for Christ. That's the thing. Genuine love for Christ and genuine love for others have to coincide together. They can't be separate. It, or the world often tells us like, well, fine, you can be religious. You can love your Christ. But to love me, you have to accept me. And it's like, that's not biblical. That's not the gospel. In fact, what the God's word says is when we just accept people and let them enjoy their sin and do their sin is actually it's flattery. And that's actually destructive. And so we have to remind ourselves like, To love people fully is to love like Christ fully as we love Christ fully. And so you have to be reminded reminded yourself that that's where the boldness comes from. That's how I actually speak into their life in a way that cares and loves for them. And so it's not easy. That's the one thing I want to tell you is that as you're working through this, here's some things I would say. is First, ask questions. Don't just go to somebody and be the judge, accuse them of what you see in their life and say, hey, look, you're sinning. That's not going to be met. Uh, very well. But instead, ask them questions about, you know, what are they doing in their life? Well, you ask them like, okay, what I see this in your life, what's going on? And then ask them a big question. And I say the number one question, how does God see this? Because when you're asking those type of questions, it's no longer personal opinion of yours. You're bringing it to the authority level of God. And if they're saying, well, oh, God's okay with it, well, then you have to take them to God's word. Make sure that you're using scripture saying, but well, this is what God's word says. This is what you're doing. Like those things don't match up. Help me understand that. Help me understand. And then some people might try to, you know, manipulate the conversation, but you just have to keep going to what God's word says. And then ultimately what you're hoping is that they see that sin, they see the righteous path, but they see that, oh, if I'm really going to love Christ, if I'm ultimately going to demonstrate his likeness, well, then I'm going to have to turn from this and do this. And so, again, there's more conversations to have. I would say find somebody a lot of times in these situations where I'm not sure how to approach it. I've asked other wise people. And that's one thing. Continually ask wise people for insight, for advice, for discernment. And not just in one problem, but then how to actually approach that problem. And so that's where I'm at, Lee. I mean, what would you add to that process? Yeah, Chad, I think I would say that probably our listeners are at maybe one of two places in terms of what does their starting point look like? First, maybe they need to establish that relationship in love to give themselves some credibility to speak wisdom into that person's life. Or the second place, maybe they're already at that point where they've established that relationship, and now they're looking to turn that conversation to an opportunity to move towards that correction. And I know for me, I had a bunch of guys that were within one or two years of my age group in high school, and sadly, we all lived as if everybody was doing fine. We didn't take advantage of the things that we were seeing in their life, and we weren't willing to... Number one, put ourselves out there a little bit and say, hey, I'm noticing this in your life because we knew they were going to say, well, let me talk about your life. 
And so understanding like, hey, if if I go there, the whole plank eye thing, if I go and I'm taking the speck out of somebody else's eye while I'm swinging a massive log out of my own, hopefully that person's going to help correct you and you're going to see that and want to deal with that sin in your life. But don't forget the importance that you could have in helping to lead somebody back to the Lord. We see that at the end of the book of First John about the talk that he has there, the thought that he has there about love covering the multitude of sins. And he's talking about willing to put yourself out there to deal with possibly ridicule, all these other things that, you know, certainly Paul's had to deal with in this relationship with the Corinthians to be able to say, hey, it's worth me investing and possibly losing some own comforts to helping you to be the person that God's desiring you to be. And so that's what it means to live in community. That's what it means to be a part of the church. And so my challenge for each one of our listeners today is to think about that. Are you in one of those two camps? Are you being challenged by God to grow relationships and invest in them so that you can draw them to Christ? Or are you already invested in people's lives that you should be willing to make the next step forward in your relationship and in being part of the integral part of the church and helping direct and disciple people and helping mold and shape them and walking with them through their lives and through the sin and through the good times as well? Are you willing to do that and to be a part of their lives, to be the gospel on display, its hands and feet, as we all strive to move forward in what God is challenging us to do? Know today you are loved. You're